Hey folks, in preparation for election day, for this special episode of Cafe Insider, we focus on issues surrounding the election. Last week, top intelligence officials announced that foreign nations are once again seeking to influence the election, accusing Iran of sending threatening emails to voters and Russia of hacking state and local government servers. Meanwhile, local law enforcement officials are preparing for potential disturbances on election day and in the days that follow, as the vote counting process is expected to extend well beyond election night. Anne and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com insider. That's cafe.com insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. We should just also note, because I want to make sure people are clear on this, that the law enforcement folks are gearing up for potential problems. And so it is possible. And Juliet Kayyem, I thought, did a great thread on Twitter about the elections generally, which you referenced earlier. But it is possible you will see National Guards members who are near the polling place. You may see law enforcement outside the polling place. That is done to make sure that there are no shenanigans, right? And so they should not be inside the polling place. It's to enhance voting, not to suppress voting. Exactly. Exactly. But I don't want people to show up and say, well, there's a there's a police officer standing on the street corner or a member of the National Guard. Donald Trump has has done something that is to be expected. And and in fact, I think that a good police department and a good sheriff's office right now and and the federal agents, law enforcement agencies should be thinking about what if there's voter intimidation? What if there's civil unrest? It's not to say it's going to happen. It just is to say that if you don't plan for it, it's a lot harder to respond in the moment. And so I you know, I'm very worried about voter intimidation and suppression. And and I think there's a lot of reasons to be worried about that. But I think I think we should be mindful also that there are some checks and balances in place and that hopefully, you know, people will do the right thing. Yeah. I'm just as an aside, people should bear in mind that if you're a member of the United States military, you are duty bound to follow orders, but only lawful orders. And if you're giving a, a given a patently illegal order, which means in order that a person of ordinary sense and understanding would know to be unlawful, you don't need to follow that. And some of the things that President Trump has been saying, I think falls into that category. Look, what a lot of this is gonna come down to is there's multiple components to this. One is, can people go get their selves to the polls or can they mail their ballots in? But that's only half the story, right? The rest of the story, particularly with respect to absentee voting, is who gets counted. As Mark Elias said on the Stay Tuned podcast recently, if you actually manage to get yourself to a poll, the odds are incredibly infinitesimally small that your vote will not be counted once you, you know, you, you feed your ballot into the machine. Not so if you mail your ballot in or even if you drop it off at a Dropbox for a variety of reasons. And, and one of those reasons is, well, what happens if you receive your ballot by a particular date and you return it, depending on the state you're in, when is the latest time that it can be counted? And we had this skirmish that we've talked about before in Wisconsin that went you know, this way and that way in the lower courts. Uh, and then and we now have a Supreme Court decision with respect to Wisconsin that not everyone's going to be happy with. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a couple of things, which is first, when can the mail-in ballots be counted? And that is, it's just worth noting that 
this is one reason why it's going to take longer for the election results to come out, because as we noted, there's 40 million already absentee mail-in ballots that have come in. And there are 23 states. Well, let's talk about it in sort of two spaces. The first is in terms of counting. Election workers in at least 32 states can start processing ballots, not necessarily counting them. In most states, they can't count them till Election Day, but they can start processing them a week or more before Election Day. And that means they can take them out of envelopes, they can get them ready to count, um, and they can basically start doing those either in some states before Election Day, in others, they start on Election Day. But that is going to take a long time. You're talking about 40 million ballots. By the time we're through the election, it, it might even be double that. So you're talking about a lot of these ballots that are coming in as mail ballots that are going to have to be counted. That's one piece. Another piece, which is important, is when ballots have to be postmarked by. And so you're referencing the Wisconsin case, which I don't know if people will remember this, but there was a dispute that's worked its way through the courts as to whether an absentee mail-in ballot, since they're the same thing, I'm using them interchangeably, but since a ballot that has been mailed in advance by a voter the question was, did it have to be postmarked by election day like we do with taxes, that your taxes have to be postmarked by the day they're due? Or does it have to be received by the voting office on the, um, election day? And it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that it has to be um, received by 8 p.m. on election day. And that was the Republican position that was asserted in the state of Wisconsin. It is contrary to the, and the Republican justices sided with that. What's notable about that decision and the reason a lot of people are talking about it is not that it's surprising that the court went that way, but that Brett Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, basically referenced a previous Supreme Court justice, Justice Rehnquist's opinion in the case Bush v. Gore. And that was the 2020 litigation around the counting of ballots in Florida. And what's important about that case is in that case, Justice Rehnquist basically found that Florida wasn't appropriately following the method that they should follow for a recount and basically for processing ballots and found that the federal government, meaning the United States Supreme Court, has the right to step in and stop that recount, right? And so, you know, it gave enormous power to the United States Supreme Court in terms of allowing the sort of state to vote the electors and to stop the recount when the recount was was stopped. It's worth just noting also that what Justice Kavanaugh is citing to from Justice Rehnquist in the Bush v. Gore um, opinion wasn't even the majority opinion. That was a concurrence that didn't have a majority of the justices' votes. And that's what Kavanaugh is citing to as a way of citing and, and sort of trying to make that precedent as, as a prior holding of the court when it's really, it was a concurrence and it was not accepted. It went, it went a step beyond where um, the full majority was willing to go. And so it's just really... It's it's really important to be on a lookout for the fact that this may get to the court, the, this election may get to the court, and that there's an early indicator of, I think, just how deeply ideological and, frankly, conservative I think this, this court will be if rulings come to them. Yeah, and the other thing that's very sort of angering about Kavanaugh referring to Bush v. Gore is the justices, for a lot of reasons in that case, jurisprudential reasons, and also, I think, for reasons of credibility – uh, and faith in their institution, given how controversial a thing it was going to be to basically decide the election by n nine unelected men and women in robes, was they said, look, our decision today, our rationale today is is limited to this case. It doesn't really have precedential value. So it's it's a flip of what we've been talking about with Amy Coney Barrett, who we've argued and worried about her testimony that there are certain cases that she will not view as particularly strong precedent or super precedent. 
like Griswold v. Connecticut, the birth control case. So we have cases that are precedent, should be respected, that we worry she's not going to respect. And then on the other hand, you have another conservative, new justice, Justice Kavanaugh, appointed by Trump, who's taking something that's on its own face, on its own terms, not supposed to be precedent in a particular way going forward, and raising it to the level of that. So you have a sort of a double hypocrisy there as well. Justice Kagan, in this opinion we've been discussing, essentially in a footnote calls out Kavanaugh's reasoning and says, quote, Justice Kavanaugh alleges that suspicions of impropriety will result if absentee ballots flow in after election day and potentially flip the results of an election. But she points out, but there are no results to flip until all valid votes are counted and nothing could be more suspicious or improper than refusing to tally votes once the clock strikes 12 on election day. To suggest otherwise, especially in these fractious times, is to disserve the electoral process. You know, she's calling out this very dangerous sort of setting of the table, as you're describing, that also aligns with Donald Trump's, you know, rhetorical enterprise, which is to put out in the world this idea that anything that happens after election day, even though they're validly submitted uh, ballots, tens and tens and tens of millions of legitimately submitted ballots, the idea that if it comes in after, some supposed suspicion about that, which by the way is largely being fomented and manufactured by the president, that that is in some way a bad thing. And more than that, provides a basis not to consider those votes is incredibly dangerous and you know, <laughs> makes Bush v. Gore look like something tiny and small. I mean, I just keep looking at what Justice Kavanaugh said. And it's, you know, I've said this before about Bill Barr. It's like a, it's a sort of laundering of rhetoric from the president. I mean, this whole idea that if the result changes between the end of November 3rd and sometime later because of new votes coming in, as Justice Kagan points out, that's just nonsensical. It's like it's like saying, imagine the first half of the game. You know, one it's team is winning. It's not the result, right? Yeah, exactly. one, one team is yeah. winning in the first half of the game, and you know, I think people would be reasonably suspicious of what happens if the result of that game was flipped in the second half because the other team scored more touchdowns. The election, the election. I hope you enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.